Make no mistake, Meta makes money from children and teens. It's definitely more restricted in how it's able to do that versus with consenting adults, but it's still a significant part of its business. Plus, child and teen users eventually become adult ones, if all goes well, and Meta stands to benefit from having a relationship with those users throughout their lives. Plus, the fact is that teens make a lot of content, and social platforms need a constant flow of new content to just survive. You cannot punch down at these companies. (laughs) They run the freaking world, man. But in 2020, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission put in place an order to help protect young users from privacy overreach as part of a $5 billion settlement that Facebook, now Meta, made with the federal agency. That order was itself imposed in response to a violation of an older one. And now the FTC is making moves to implement even stricter rules in response to what it says is a violation of the 2020 arrangement. Not only did Meta violate that 2020 order according to the FTC, but it also ran afoul of the agency's Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, the agency says. It claims Meta should be following strict guidelines to keep kids' data secure and ensure that parents can implement controls to keep children from being able to chat with strangers. As a result, the FTC is moving to place even more strict regulation upon the company, starting with banning Meta from monetizing data from children in any way, including by playing games in Horizon Worlds. I'm Daryl Etherington, and this is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we talk about the top stories in tech with the people who cover them. Today, we're talking to TechCrunch reporter Devin Coldaway about whether Meta's cavalier approach to compliance will finally be coming to a close. Hey, Devin, how's it going? Hey, not bad. Well, this week is a big one. There's all kinds of news happening. Surprise news a lot of the times this week, but this one was big. Yeah. Yeah. The There's F- a lot going on. I already had a busy week planned. And then, and then it's like, oh, a bunch of spontaneously appearing news, just like literally in my inbox. It's just like the FTC to do that kind of stuff. I know. But I think the enforcement action in this case is definitely, I would say, laudable. I mean, it's hard to say <laughs> right now, but. Well, you know, yeah, this enforcement thing, you know, back when this 2020 settlement and order happened, both Natasha Lomas and I, who covered it, we were like, well, okay, it's good that there's some consequences. But then we looked at it and we're like, but there aren't really any consequences. Right. It was like, pay $5 billion, which for them is like, you know, nothing. And then they had these various rules, but there was a lot of sort of like honor system and like, well, we'll send a guy maybe to check it out. So, you know, we both agreed it was kind of a slap on the wrist. And I think that it may be that since then, the FTC has kind of realized that and is like, all right, we've got pretty good reason if they violate some of these things to go back and say, oh, looks like these rules needed to be a little tighter. Right. And that seems to be exactly what they did. So... What would you attribute to that? Is it a change of leadership or is it public criticism or a combination of all the above? Or do we not really have visibility into why they've arrived at this only that they have? Well, I mean, it's entirely possible that it's down to Lena Khan, the new FTC Mm. chair and my personal hero. Uh, (laughs) I just think she's like, you know, she's a very opinionated and strong minded person and extremely smart and is very against the kind of sort of freewheeling unregulated space that tech companies have existed in for the last like 10, 15 years. And it's produced, you know, huge businesses, Amazon, Facebook, Google, everybody has grown like crazy. But Khan has been in here as an academic mainly and a lawyer talking about like, look, ultimately, this is not a good thing for our economy and for, you know, the spaces. There's essentially new kinds of domination and market power going on. And so she ascended into the FTC like super fast, straight up to the chair, and probably looked at that settlement and was like, this is toothless. And if we can find a way to 
tighten the screws, then we should. And right. they found, I mean, as far as I know, I'm not sure if this has been done before in such a substantial way to sort of go back and redo the order. But they cited a statutory authority in their news release that they put out, uh-huh. which usually they do that when something is pretty new and able to be challenged. And they said, oh, well, here's the statutory authority that lets us do this if it's in the public interest and the situation has changed. And they're saying, well, the situation has changed because our independent assessor of privacy compliance that Facebook had to explain everything to basically came back to us and said, yeah, it's not doing great. Mm. There's a lot of issues. You know, it's nothing. And that was a condition of the settlement, right? Yeah, it was. And apparently one of the few that, you know, they could actually sort of hang some sort of punishment on. So, yeah, I think they found a good reason and method to go back and say, let's do a little do over. And naturally, Facebook and Meta, uh, they, they use the terms interchangeably. It's so annoying because it was Facebook when they had the order, yeah. and now it's Meta. And so they're like, Facebook did this, and then Meta did this. It's like, oh my God, why? Just, everybody should just keep the stupid names their companies are. Well, I mean, that's but, probably one of the reasons. Meta changed it, obviously, because they wanted to signal their interest in the Metaverse, which has proven probably a foolish endeavor. But also, they had the side benefit of distancing themselves from Facebook and like all the things that had built up about Facebook and its bad actor status when it comes to privacy and everything else, right? So Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And uh but they are mad as hell. Yeah. They sent this uh kind of amazing statement. Every anytime this kind of thing happens, the company says, Oh, we will fight this vigorously and we expect it to be Yeah, but it's usually know. fairly anemic, right? It's kind yeah, of like, it's yeah. always it's a lawyer or whatever saying like Hey, this is based on a misinterpretation of the law. We have strong precedent and we've been, you know, working this way the whole time. So we expect this to disappear. But in this case, they're like, the FTC is trying to usurp authority of Congress. They are allowing Chinese companies like TikTok to operate without constraints on American soil. LenaCon is using baseless measures to antagonize American business. And she has reached a new low. And I'm like, whoa, this sounds personal. This is not just the usual, hey, we're going to fight this kind of talk. Yeah. And rather anodyne, I think, is what I was looking for rather than anodyne. Anodyne. Oh, great yes. word. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you found it eventually. <laughs> and this is not that. This is extremely pointed, extremely charged. I mean, so they, it's not like this is the first time that they've gone after Lena Khan aggressively, which to my mind is the single best sign that she's doing what she should be doing, right? Like Amazon is also not happy with Lena Connor has not been in the past, right? But they petitioned the FTC to recuse Lena from participating in any decisions concerning, this is now quoting, whether and how to continue the FTC's antitrust case against the company. This was back in 2021, right? So Yeah, yeah. I think I wrote that article. Oh. Or I, I wrote an article about this. Good job, Devin. Stay on it. <laughs> uh, consistency, that's what we like. But I think they've signaled they do not like her and they want to fight everything that she does and they want to challenge her ability to probably even continue in the position. And this will probably contribute to some future endeavor in that regard too, or they will like paint this as a pattern of whatever uh, antagonistic behavior, like personal that's slighted towards the company, right? Which, no, it's actually just she's doing her job and you guys continue to do shitty-ass things that raise her ire, right? Yeah. And all, yeah. and I mean, like, it is doing her job. And yes, she is, in a way, antagonistic to these companies. But that's because she has taken a legal philosophy 
and approach to market power and monopolies and, you know, and also duopolies and oligopolies or whatever the different, you know, these different opolies that you can have. Yeah. She doesn't like any of them. And she's like, look, we should be regulating harder. And here's the structure for that. And that's what she's been saying for her career. And that's why like this fresh take on market power and monopolies and saying like, yes, Amazon is a monopoly. You just don't define it as monopoly because of the just it's basically out of tradition. We all right. are like, oh, monopolies are defined like this. Since right. The We've defined them very strictly just for context for people. So like if you're doing something that is like decimating other businesses, but they're not technically in the same category, like it's very difficult to claim this monopoly status. Right. So if you're like, yeah. oh, you've devastated brick and mortar retail, it's like, OK, but. It now supplanted that. Like, that is no longer the thing anymore. Now it's like online retail, but it doesn't matter kind of for the definition. Yeah. And, you know, it's been limited for a reason because when you declare something a monopoly or you, when the FTC or whoever does that, you know, it, it invokes certain powers and certain laws and it, it yeah. allows for certain actions that are pretty serious when you're talking about business. Absolutely. And, and nobody wants to be the subject of those. There's a lot of power to break up businesses once they are actually defined as a monopoly, right? So you want it to be reserved for the most extreme cases. Yeah, no one wants to end up like Ma Bell. It's a huge pain in the ass just to like do the court cases. You know, it's like Microsoft survived, but they're still stained by the stuff from the 90s. People think like, oh, Microsoft, didn't they get sued for like having Internet Explorer bundled into Windows yep. or whatever? It's all that kind of stuff. You never forget when they get these big antitrust proceedings. And so Minicon has been pursuing that as a professional philosophy right and in documented and official ways since her time at like yeah yale law uh, if i remember correctly and now it's like what they're mad about is that this philosophy is antithetical to their entire like business models and how they came to power and right. they're like this woman is an existential threat and if she wields the ftc in the way that we think she will then stuff like what just happened this week will happen and a toothless order from a couple of years ago will suddenly become like a holy shit moment where you're saying we can't use any children's data. Well, that's horrible. Yeah, that's right. So that's the other thing we should talk about is that if this comes into effect, it fundamentally changes in a very real way how meta does business. Like you can't work around it or just pay your way out of it and kind of forget and move on. This would be like, no, a lot of the rigging has to be torn out of your marketing apparatus, essentially. This is meta at a time when they are already feeling a lot of that. And the, the other thing that impacted this out of this business was not government-led. It was Apple-led. Apple essentially decimated a lot of their ability to identify and target and deliver like very specific, particular information about customers to advertisers because of the way that they yeah. re-architected their platform and what third-party apps were allowed to collect from users and then pass on to advertisers. So like that means they're already feeling like, okay, this is very different. Our ability to make money in the way that we made it before has been seriously impeded and this would impede it even further, right? Yeah. And I mean, just generally, like they want to stay cool. Like, well, I don't know, stay cool is the, is the, is the phrase. <laughs> but, you know, Meta wants to capture the younger audience and they want, you know, they they want the kids playing in Horizon Worlds instead of Minecraft or, yes. you know, like Fortnite or whatever. Obviously, that's not happening because it doesn't cost a thousand dollars and give you a headache to play Fortnite. Right. And <laughs> it's just not happening. They're not succeeding. And now the FTC is kicking them while they're down saying, like, not only are you bad at, you know, monetizing children, but we're going to make it illegal for you to do so. Yeah. It's also just worth taking a minute to step back to what you were talking about before, where like 
in Meadows' attempt is to paint this as personal, Lena Khan's professional philosophy has been based on this competing view, right? It's not a personal view. It's a competing professional view about yeah. the role of government authority versus... It's a different doctrine is how yeah. they usually refer to it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's absolutely something that needs working out. And it needs working out kind of in this way, right? Like in the public sphere, not just academically. So yeah, I think it's definitely worth pursuing and not something anybody should confuse with like some kind of private agenda or whatever, right? It's just like, this is the way that Lena Khan believes a government should operate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's room for debate on this thing. Like nobody thinks that we should all just adopt everything that Lena Khan writes about Amazon or whatever. Because like she wrote this famous paper, The Amazon Antitrust Paradox, which was very informative of a new approach to antitrust strategy. But, it, you know, it's not like we should just take that and make that the law. We should be arguing about it and being like, well, if we did this, you know, Amazon would collapse. And we don't want that to happen because they employ 500,000 people. Right. So maybe we try to define it like this or we implement this state by state or, you know, there's a lot of room for debate and it's just starting. Yeah. But obviously the big ones, big companies like Amazon and Facebook, which are constantly sort of playing the victim card now, they're like, oh, why do people pick on us? Why, you know, why are you always talking to us about moderation issues or like labor issues? It's like, well, you're the biggest, richest companies in the world. You're going to pick on your ass until you change. Yeah. And Lena Khan is doing the same thing. And the FTC is hopefully feeling empowered to do so. Yeah. In no world is this a punching down scenario, no matter what right. anybody tries to position it as, right? Like, yeah. You, like you cannot, cannot. punch down <laughs> you can, at no, these you companies. <laughs> they run the freaking world, man. In theory, they can punch down against each other, maybe, but they're almost all like equivalent. Like it's, it's almost all punching laterally, even among them, but everyone else is below, right? There's no question about that. So. Yeah. I just, whenever anybody's like, Oh, we feel like really put upon by this latest scrutiny. And it's like, you know, like with Facebook's case, meta and this whole thing, you know, there's these problems that the, uh, the FTC's sort of identified as reasons for tightening the regulations. Right. Yeah. And you read them and you're like, well, these don't seem like super bad. But it's also like if you're going to make a product for children, like literally for people under 13 to like chat with, you know, other friends and you know that the FTC has got its like eye of Sauron on you, wouldn't you want to make that product just absolutely bulletproof? Wouldn't you want to take every possible step to make sure that you you don't just have the protections required by law, but like. Additional ones, like yeah, exactly. Like think about the kids. Like actually think about the children. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Do you want children talking to strangers? Because that's what happened. Yeah. So like, it surprises me that they could make these mistakes. You know, with so many resources and with so much obvious pressure from outside, you would think that they would want to just really buckle down and make it happen. But it seems like they didn't. And if under that kind of pressure and with those resources, you're still not succeeding under the sort of the rules and regulations that have been put in place, then, I mean, they got to bring around the stick instead of the carrot, right? Yeah. And uh, like I would argue, they're not making mistakes. They're doing this intentionally. They, they don't like the level of control under which they are right now, and they wish to challenge it, and they will challenge it in practice first, and then they will challenge it legally afterwards. They, they know what they're doing. They're not like stepping into this by accident. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's certainly possible that they came to a similar conclusion as Natasha and I did, that this order is largely a sort of like, well, you know, give us some money and then every once in a while tell us that you are in compliance. Yeah, and in the context of that order when it was issued at that time, it 
probably was the case, right? It's just that the order was built in such a way that it allowed the possibility for what's happening now, which is putting some actual force behind it. So Yeah, and we'll see how that plays out because even one of the FCC commissioners was like, you know, I'm not 100% right. on the legal status of this. She's like, I'm, I'm totally like, it's okay, but I couldn't vote yes without further legal scrutiny. And of course, Facebook says this has no precedent. Which, you know, that's what you say when something is being tried. But we'll see. It may be that the legal authority to do this gets challenged. But if it mm-hmm. does go through, it's a big new or expanded tool. Right. If it's successful, then it sets precedent to the point yeah. of that there is no precedent previously. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what happens all the time. I mean, that's what precedent. Where do you think precedent comes from? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, there's no precedent for this. You're like, there wasn't yeah. before the other president either. Like, let's get some precedents in here. Yeah. And so that could have a massive effect, like across the board, not just for Meta, but for all companies building all social products. Yeah. So lots more to watch for this. I think, Devin, I'm sure you'll be providing updates as they come. And maybe you'll be cited in future legal action oh boy. for your contribution. So I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I just want I want Lena Khan to just say my name in, in Congress. <laughs> we're like according to Devin Coldaway, and I'll just be like, yes, yes, done, retire. <laughs> Here are the stories sending the tech world into a frenzy this week. The Writers Guild of America is on strike, and one of their concerns is AI. Among their demands, including for better streaming residuals, the WGA is asking that networks put some limits on the use of generative AI in writers' rooms. That includes either being forced to adapt work originally written by AI or having to consider AI-generated work as true writer's work. It may seem a bit far-fetched given the current state of AI-generated fiction, but it's a forward-looking measure that could pay off as AI gets smarter. More on this from Amanda Silverling on TC. Meanwhile, ChatGPT is being used productively by one group, hackers. Researchers have found they're making use of the generative AI chatbot to help spread malware using Facebook. The lure and appeal of ChatGPT to even non-technical users has meant hackers are drawing in victims by promising them AI chatbot browser extensions. More from Carly Page on TechCrunch. Uber has long resisted employing the services of payment industry infrastructure giant Stripe in its core payment flow. But that's changing now with an announcement that the two will team up on payments in eight of Uber's largest global markets, including the U.S., Stripe already works with Uber's biggest competitor, Lyft, in a similar capacity. This could add a huge amount of annual revenue to Stripe's balance sheet. Check out more from Ingrid London on TechCrunch. Microsoft has launched a new startup incubator program called Pegasus. The new program, named after the mythical winged horse, will offer up to $350,000 in Azure, GitHub, and LinkedIn credits to participating startups. These are all typical capital expenditures for tech companies, so it could be a big boon to those just starting out. More from Kyle Wiggers on TC. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review. And as always, don't miss the other TC podcasts. We have Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. 